You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. I just want to read to you chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. So if you'll stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word, what we find is a really good summary of what's going on in these two early chapters of Judges And how this not only helps us understand something for today, but sets up this book and will, I believe, help us learn and grow in grace. So here's the word of the Lord. Notice, now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of the place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath, Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sowed them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that the fate of Israel will teach us lessons today, that we will understand the victory we have in your name, and that, Lord, we will build victory upon victory and remain in that victory strong in our faith, strong for our families, strong for your church and your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. We need to begin with this thought. If you are here today and you would confess, if we had a chance to talk one-on-one, you and me, and you were to confess that you are a Christ follower, let me assure you, you have victory in Jesus. Heaven is your home, and God will not let you go. I want you to know that when we're talking about salvation, when we're talking about 
who we are in Christ. There are so many images in the scripture that let us know that we are in his hand and nothing, nothing in this universe can take us from our heavenly father's hand. That's a good, good message on Father's Day. Our heavenly father will never let us go. But the reality is in this world that even though the Lord may never let us go and that our souls are secure in him and heaven is our home, the question really is, will we remain strong in victory? Will we continue to live our lives in such a way that we are able to make a difference for the kingdom and that we will not take steps backward, that we will not lose our way in our journey? It doesn't take you long to listen to what's going on, not just in the culture outside of the church, but the culture within the church, to know that many people who were our heroes that have worked hard for many years in ministry and in faith uh, did not remain in victory. It is obviously an option for us, even as believers, to lose our way in this world. To put it simply, that's what's going on in the book of Judges. When you look at how the book of Judges starts, it looks really good in chapter 1, the first 19 verses and a half, really. What we have is God saying, go, and the people go. God says, you'll have victory, and the people have victory, and things are going quite well until sin begins to set in. One of the things the Lord spoke to my heart as I was thinking about how to begin this time with you, especially since it's Father's Day, I wonder if there are some dads out here today who would say, or perhaps think in their minds, you know, Pastor, the truth is right now, life is pretty good. My family is in church. We are living for Jesus. We have had some victories here and there. We have some ministry we're involved in. We feel like things are going good. So, yeah, uh, appreciate your sermon, but I'm good today. I'm going to go have lunch, and off we go. But the real question, again, is, will you remain strong? God's given you many things, and I, I know many of you as dads and as leaders in the church, God has been good to you, and that is unquestionable. But what is the question is, will you remain strong in the Lord? Because if we do not remain strong in the Lord, God's word tells us what we have here coming. Chapter 2, verse 15, that last verse I read to you, what we have is terrible distress. So the book of Judges shows us that we are going to have one of two options in our spiritual walk. We are either going to remain in victory or experience terrible distress. I grew up here in the Midwest. Some of you uh, that come from Kansas or Oklahoma, maybe, uh, maybe Texas, maybe you've seen a few more storms than me, but over the years, it seems like I have seen quite a few storms. We had one right before we graduated high school, Jenny and I did, tore the, the roof off the gym of the school we were at, and they moved our, our graduation back. I remember that. I remember being at graduate school there in seminary. A big uh, a storm came and hit downtown Fort Worth, and I was in, in the basement of the seminary, which was a pretty good place to be, uh, because a lot of things got blown away. I've seen storms here in Missouri that were pretty violent. In DeSoto, we had a similar uh, event that tore up the school and messed up a bunch of houses. I'm here to tell you, when a storm rolls in, it can do a lot of damage very quickly. And here's the image I want you to get. Those houses and businesses that took decades to build were gone in a second. And so what I'm saying to you is, the storms of this world and the chaos that we're going to face as believers in Christ, not just you dads, but moms and dads and everybody who cares about following Jesus, it is not going to be the case that you're going to get a storm-free life. If you have a season of peace, praise God, but know that a storm is coming. And what we want to make sure is, is that even when the storm comes, you remain strong in the Lord and are able to withstand the storms. 
There's a big difference between this distress, which is what we don't want, and just experiencing difficulty. We as believers are going to have storms. We are going to have difficulty, but we don't need to assume that we're going to have distress. We don't have to assume that we're going to have spiritual distress that keeps us from serving the Lord or knocking us back in the calling that we have in our lives. Each new generation, each of us have to take a stand. We cannot build on the past. Let me show you this in chapter 2, verse 10. I want to read it to you again. And all the generations also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. This is key. Fathers, listen to me. It's not enough to say that you are doing a good job for your family now What is important is that you are providing a foundation for your kids and your grandkids. You want to make sure that there is not a break in that chain. You want to make sure that you are helping those you love remain in victory. As we begin our journey through Judges, we need to understand that victory is is given to us spiritually. We have heaven, but between now and heaven, we need to avoid distress. We need to avoid the problems that we see, the chaos that we will uncover in Judges. We need to avoid that, and we can only do that by staying strong in the Lord. So let's begin by looking at what it means to be with the Lord and what victory is all about. The book of Judges uh, sort of begins here at the end of an era. We have Joshua passing away, and when a great leader dies, there is trauma Throughout history, we see many examples of how a leader can be strong and do really well. And then if something tragic occurs, think like Abraham Lincoln, think JFK. Think of those periods after those important leaders. And after Lincoln's assassination, you had Reconstruction. After JFK's assassination, you had the Vietnam War. You had a season of difficulty and darkness in the culture at large. And I know here in the text, we don't know all that was going on. We can't get into the hearts and minds of the people exactly. But we can imagine that it was traumatic to have such a great leader as Joshua one day, and then he's gone the next. So we want to pause here for just a moment. We want to call a time out, and we want to say this. God gives us wonderful leaders, and this church has had plenty. We've been blessed with great leadership over the decades here But all those leaders would tell you that God is our ultimate leader. And as we look through the book of Judges, we see how God uses individuals, even weak individuals, to do his work. But in the end, it is God who does the work. It is our job many times to be humble and get out of the way of the work of the Lord. He will use us as he sees fit. And we need to remember that when God is doing the work, there will be winning. There will be victory. When the Lord speaks, his word is true and victory is promised. I'm going to show you something. Turn back to chapter 1 and look at verse 2 with me for just a moment. Notice this. The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Okay, so there's a command. Judah, go to battle. But notice this. I have given the land into his hand. What an awesome verse. God gives the command and promises victory in just the same little verse. 
God is telling his people that they will be successful. When God's people are faithful, they will be successful. Success is assured. And the reason why is because God gives the victory. Look at verse 4. That victory comes in the form of a military win where 10,000 soldiers of the enemy are defeated. And the rest of the chapter, you would think, okay, we're just going to keep being faithful. We're going to keep doing the right thing. We're going to be honoring unto God. God. But as you go through, what you see in this chapter is, is that with each paragraph, things grow more disturbing. The major victories that begin chapter one, you begin to see God's people don't clean up the edges. If you're a parent, you know how it is. When you're first teaching your kids how to clean the room, they, they, they learn how to get the big stuff, but they're not exactly getting in the corners and getting the dust, Right? I mean, that's kind of how it works. But over time, that can be a problem. And in this passage, God's children don't get the dust out of the corners. They leave the sin pockets in the land. And so each tribe, as you go through chapter 1, start about there in the middle of the chapter, in particular chapter 1, verse 19, and go down, and you'll see that tribe after tribe doesn't clean their room, (laughs) doesn't clean their territory. They leave just enough trouble in the land that that trouble remains and grows and causes great trouble for the people of God. The dark turn that the book of Judges will take was not necessary. If God's people would have remained in victory, they would not have had to go back again and again and again into the cycle of destruction. And let me say this, and we're going to talk more about it before we leave here today. You will continue to remain in a cycle of destruction if you do not remain in victory. You are going to go into a season of chaos, one after the other, if you do not have uh, that constant dependence on the Holy Spirit and upon Christ at work in your heart. Beware. Because even those who've been blessed with with the greatest blessings can soon find distress. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 again. God says, I think this is the angel of the Lord, probably a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Some think that's true. There's no guarantee, but it sure looks like something Jesus would say. We have this word, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. That's how the chapter begins. God says, I am with you. I'm not going to break the covenant. I will be faithful to you, but you have to obey me. And oh, the devil was in the details. Because the people did not keep their faith. They allowed the Canaanites and their false gods, Baal and Ashtoreth and others that we could talk about, Moloch, those gods remained in the land. Even the worship of those false gods remained in the land and it became poisonous. You can have the most juicy steak for, for lunch today, but if you put a little cyanide in it, I'm guessing it ruins the steak. And here we have the promised land, which is the land of milk and honey, a proverbial steak, if you will. But as long as the poison remained in the system, the people would not grow to remain in victory. We cannot make the mistake of underestimating human sinfulness or, for that matter, underestimating God's holiness. One of the things that we make the mistake of doing, dads, this is true for us, that if we have a good season, that we've got it figured out, and we start to get a little bit complacent with our walk. But I want to tell you, the second you start getting complacent with your walk, you are underestimating the power of sin in your life. 
Another big uh, problem, a disastrous problem that we have in the church is that sometimes we forget the holiness of God. God does not find joy in you uh, only doing some of what he says. You can't go to God like you would your, your, your teacher or when you come home with your grades. I know I didn't get an A, but I got a B. I, I know I didn't get a B, but I got a, you know, whatever. I, that's not enough. When it comes to God's holiness, we need to realize that God is serious about holiness, and he expects us to be too. Dads, one of the best gifts you will give your children is to be a holy person, faithful to the word and in prayer. That's one of the best gifts you can give. And let me tell you, victory will not come cheap. Victory only comes to us when we are faithful. This is a challenge to you uh, today. Men, don't complain to God about what we've lost. Don't complain to God about what's not going right until we are willing to look into our hearts and see where the thorns are, where the sin remains. Let me say to you, brothers and sisters, we are not going to be able to remain strong in the Lord as long as the thorns of sin remain in our hearts. Let me show you what I mean by that. In chapter 2, verse 3, another key verse, notice what it says. So now I say I will not drive them out. And these are the Canaanites with the false gods. It says right here, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be snares to you. So notice what happens here. The people don't clean out the land as they were told. Victory was given to them. They'd already won the big military victory. So let's go back to the room analogy. The big stuff was picked up out of the middle of the room. The beds were made, but they stopped fighting the good fight. They didn't clean up around the edges, and it was from the edges that sin crept back into the land and into the hearts of the people. It was thorns that got them, and those thorns became snares. A few times in my younger days, I would go back behind my house. There were these wonderful farm fields that went forever, it seemed, and, and it was there by the Ohio River, and so I would walk through uh, those, those uh, gullies and creeks, and I don't know how in the world I didn't, you know, get snake bitten, all those things. I wasn't thinking about those things in those days, but I remember a couple times getting stuck in a briar patch, and I'm not talking about little thorns. I'm talking sometimes those thorns that are like, you know, massive. They look like nails. Man, when you get those in you, you know it, but sometimes a thorn is a really small thing that you don't necessarily feel, but if you leave it in there, in the flesh, it will be an infection that comes your way. Let me just pause for a moment and remind you of one of the great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, a man by the name of David. King David was a man who was uh, experiencing great victory. Other than his son Solomon, um, in terms of the early success in his ministry, in his kingship, these two guys had a lot of things going for them. But at the height of David's uh, power, when it seemed like he could do no wrong, this incident happens with Bathsheba. And most of you know that story, but basically he was up on a rooftop. He lusted after a woman. And from that sin, as he gave into that one sin, many more sins, all the way to murder, transpired. And it was after he had all these things happen that we have the psalm, Psalm 51, verse 11 in particular, where he cries out to God, David does, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, that doesn't mean that David was, was saying, God, make sure I go to heaven. But he, he felt that pain 
of not remaining strong in victory. He had walked away from his commitment to the Lord and walked into sin. And as he walked into the briar patch of sin, those thorns sunk down deep in the flesh and became infected all the way to the point that he was willing to let others die for his sin. How many families have died? How many relationships have perished? How many ministries have gone the way of the trash heap because we have not paid attention to our hearts? We have not cleaned out the edges. We have allowed the thorns to remain. Let me take you back to chapter 1, verse 19. I want to show you something. Another key verse. Verse 19 has a pivot point, a hinge, we call it sometimes. And I want you to see this. It's important because up to verse 19, things are going pretty good. Then in verse 19, and the Lord was with Judah. That's good. And he took possession of the hill country. That's good. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Now I want you to see this. Dads, it is not easy to be a father and a husband in this world today because many of the obstacles we're facing are not small obstacles, but we're facing very, very strong enemies in the world. So in a military context, if, if in this day someone had chariots of iron, they had an advantage over you if you did not have chariots of iron. And so God's people, up until this point, they had been victorious in every way, but at this point they decided that that God wasn't enough. And so they looked out and they said, wow, those bad guys, they have chariots of iron. And what God was wanting them to do is look up and realize that no matter what they had faced in the past, God had give, given them victory. Men, women, listen to me. If we look around us in our culture today, we're going to have to admit that the culture seems to have some pretty powerful weapons. They have social media. They have the media. They have academia. We could go on and on and on. There's so many things that the world seems to have the upper hand in. And that's what we look at and we go, oh my goodness, how can we ever push back against that? Well, the answer is you can't. But God at work in you can. We have to look up and realize that our strength is in Christ. When we forget that the creator of the world is on our side, we pay too much attention to the situation on the ground when our power is from above. We need to start looking up into the heavens from whence our help will come. We have in Christ all we need, and that's what we have to realize. The thorns will remain until we get on our knees in prayer. And, and we have to make sure, each one of us, because every tribe, when we look at chapter 1, we'll realize that every tribe didn't do their part. And so that thorn was here and there and everywhere. The thorns became snares. And those thorns led to infection. And if not dealt with by the power of Jesus, his grace and forgiveness, every thorn that you are not removing is going to lead to pain, and terrible distress. In fact, that's what we want to finish with here today is thinking through what it looks like, what it feels like to have terrible distress. One of the things that bothers me, and, and I don't know the answer, and I'm not trying to artificially manufacture something here. You understand what I mean in a minute, but it seems to me that I've been preaching long enough to have noticed a, a, a change and it's not just in, in my uh, world, in the, the, the churches I pastor. When I talk to pastors, I find that this is more and more the case. 
that it seems like when the word is proclaimed and hearts are being touched, we're less and less likely to actually do something, like respond to something, to be on our knees and ask for forgiveness. We do that less and less. So let me just warn you, I'm not trying to get you in the altar artificially, but let me warn you and say that every opportunity you have to remove a thorn of sin, you better remove it. If it's in this altar, fine. If it's in your seat, fine. If it's in your prayer closet at home, fine. If it's at your desk at work, fine. If it's in your automobile on the way to work, fine. But don't let the thorns remain because terrible distress comes to those who do not deal with sin. And I feel like we have a culture that has taught itself that sin is not that big of a deal and that if we just keep looking past it, it'll somehow disappear. If you are not intentional about removing the sins in your heart, those sins will not stay stagnant. They will fester. Those sins will not remain quiet. They will cause you to move and to act and to be something less than Christ has created you to be. You are more Uh, You are more, you have more capacity um, in your life than what you're experiencing right now. God has something more for you. And disobedience will lead to terrible distress. Some have called these chapters here a catalog of unoccupied territory. That's what one group of scholars calls it. Another perhaps puts it better. This is a catalog of failure. Historically speaking, the Uh, northern kingdom of Israel would only last 200 years from this date. That's a very short period of time for a nation. And the southern kingdom of Judah would fare only slightly better and would last only 400 years. But those of you who have read the Old Testament, you know that the book of Judges and the book of First and Second Samuel, the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, the book of Nehemiah, Ezra, the other historical books, those books do not paint a picture of success and glory. They paint a picture of complete distress, of absolute disaster. God's people, starting in the book of Judges, started to walk away from the power they had in Jesus, the power they had in God, and it showed more and more and more as time went on. In fact, the judges, there's a cycle. If you've ever looked at the book of Judges and studied it at all, you know this cycle is basically this. The people sin. They are in slavery to their sin. There's a confession of sin. There's a deliverance that comes through a judge. But as we go through this book, we see that as time goes by, it just seems to get worse and worse. The Baals and the Ashtoreth and, the, and all of the bad, evil demon gods seem to get stronger. The people are less and less inclined to worship the Lord. It looks like time and time again, the people of God have lost their way. Now, it's interesting. There's 12 judges in the book of Judges. And you say, wow, I mean, how many times did God's people have to have this happen before they would learn? I mean, how, how long does it take? Well, do you only have 12 sins in your life? Have you only sinned 12 times? Let me just ask you this. If it's so easy to figure out and to turn, why do we keep struggling with sin? And quite frankly, most of us are not having to deal with new sins. We just keep going back to the old ones. Israel kept failing and going through this cycle because they kept sinning. Let me say this. You are doing the same thing. Don't read the book of Judges and judge. Let the book of Judges judge you. Because we do the same thing. I've never seen sin as anything less than silly. 
Sin is not rational. Sin does not cause you to do things that are healthy or hopeful or helpful in any way. When you are wrapped up in sin, you are wrapped up in a mess. You know this. And yet, we continue to sin. One of the things that's interesting about the book of Judges is this. There is almost complete silence concerning, I think there is actually complete silence concerning the tabernacle. Not once in the book of Judges is the tabernacle mentioned. What does it tell you? It tells you that the men of Israel had gotten away from the worship of the Lord. I want to say, we're in a dangerous season. Drifting from church and drifting from God do go hand in hand. Some people want to tell you that your relationship with God can remain very strong if you just tune in uh, on, your, on your device. Just keep re- loosely connected. That's good enough. I'm here to tell you it wasn't good enough for Israel, and I don't think it's good enough for us. Because of technology, because of convenience, now we have options that we've not had before. And I'm very thankful. I, you know, I'm thinking about all the mission trips we have going on right now. Johnny let me know this morning that I had better you know, be screaming for him or whatever. It, I, he's watching. He's with us. When we're out doing work in other places, we can still connect. But let me just warn you, don't let that become a crutch. Don't let that become your angle because the less we have the worship and the interaction of God's people together, the more inclined we are to walk away from the Lord. We see this in the book of Judges. But ultimately, distress is always earned through infidelity, unfaithfulness to God and his word. We have caused distress through our sinfulness. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, Jesus brings us hope and new life through his sacrifice on the cross. So ultimately, the only answer to distress, the distress of sin, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And how many of you would say, I have trusted in the cross of Christ for my salvation? If you would say that, amen. But let me say this, you must trust in the cross of Christ every day. The gospel will save you. The gospel will sustain you. If you are going to remain in victory, you cannot just look back to a time when you prayed, a time when you were baptized. Those are wonderful memories. But God needs to be present in your life today. No exceptions. We have victory in Jesus. The blood of the Lamb can carry you forward. But you have to allow God to have control of your heart. Victory in Jesus. Victory in Yahweh in Judges. They had it. Victory in Jesus. You have it. They did not remain and found themselves in distress. Will you remain? Let me say it again. It is not just you and your immediate family. Generations from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, the decisions you're making today to remain faithful will have a an effect on 50 years from now. Those precious children and grandchildren that you cherish, it matters today that you remain faithful today. Don't think that your sins are just impacting your children. Your sins are impacting your great-grandchildren. Your sins will impact your neighbors, those who you work with. Your sins do more damage and distress than you can ever imagine. The only solution is the only one you need, Jesus, his cross and the gospel. I want us to end with just a moment of reflection. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? 
Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.